Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Conversations on Dance is generously supported by Yumiko. The Yumiko Heather Collection is now available. The Heather Collection is made from a high-performance fabric that features a settled flecked color effect. This ready-to-wear collection offers nine styles of leotards and four color options, including gray, pink, blue, and purple. If you haven't yet seen this newest collection, you have to click around yumiko.com to see these gorgeous looks for yourself. Stay up to date on everything Yumiko by following them on Instagram at yumiko and at yumiko world. This episode is also brought to you by the Lake Tahoe Dance Festival bringing together artists from around the world to perform in one of the most beautiful places in the world, Lake Tahoe, California, July 24th through 27th. This summer's Lake Tahoe Dance Festival features works by Agnes DeMille, Constantine Becker, Jacopo Godani, Catherine Duke, and Tracy Finch. Performance highlights include new and rarely seen works set against the breathtaking backdrop of Lake Tahoe and the Sierra Nevada mountains. Follow them on Instagram at Lake Tahoe Dance Collective and check out their hashtag putting on the Ritz giveaway for a chance to win tickets to the opening night gala, plus a three-night stay at the Ritz-Carlton Lake Tahoe. Visit LakeTahoeDanceCollective.org to plan your trip to the 2019 Lake Tahoe Dance Festival today. This episode of Conversations on Dance is sponsored by the Kennedy Center. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today's episode was recorded live at the Kennedy Center on Saturday, June 1st, 2019, before the matinee performance of Miami City Ballet as a part of Ballet Across America. We were joined by Virginia Johnson, the Artistic Director of Dance Theater of Harlem, who had been performing earlier in the week at the Kennedy Center, Lourdes Lopez, Artistic Director of Miami City Ballet, and celebrated choreographer Pam Tanowitz. This panel was put together to discuss women leading the way in ballet. Be sure to explore all the happenings at the Kennedy Center by visiting kennedy-center.org. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> My name is Art Prerumprin. I'm the managing. Uh, I'm the manager of dance programming here at the Kennedy Center, and you are joining us here during Ballet Across America Week, um, which is um, a Kennedy Center program that explores the breadth and depth of American ballet. And this is the fifth time we've done Ballet Across America, um, and we bring um, a variety of companies throughout the week to show all the different sides of American ballet. This year, when we approached curating Ballet Across America, we were um, really inspired by the leadership of women in, in ballet and um, 
through that lens also came to look at Virginia Johnson of Dance Theater of Harlem and Lourdes Lopez of Miami City Ballet, um, and also as an excuse to bring their companies here, which we've been wanting to um, do for quite a while and have them return to the Kennedy Center. Um, and as some of you have seen throughout the week, and as you'll also see this afternoon, um, it's been really exciting to have both companies here. Um, and today we have a panel discussion about uh, female leadership in ballet, but also just to hear um, what's going on with each of these remarkable artists. Last night, um, we uh, had the premiere of a work that we commissioned for both companies from um, the choreographer Pam Tanowitz, who's also here with us today. And so we'll get to hear from all of these really remarkable artists. And um, from the podcast Conversations on Dance, who we've been working with all season here at the Kennedy Center to record several live podcasts and also um, some backstage interviews as well. So please go to conversationsondancepod.com or wherever you listen to podcasts to both find podcasts that we've done and hear this podcast, um, which will be released next week, and make sure to share it with your friends. So um, without further ado, I'll turn it over to Rebecca and Michael, who are leading this, who are the hosts of Conversation on Dance, and they'll take us through um, this really interesting conversation we have. So thank you and welcome. Thank, thank you. you, Art. Thank you. Thank and, you. And thanks to all of you for coming out this afternoon. We really appreciate it. Uh, I know all of us are so excited to be here as part of Ballet Across America. Uh, my name is Michael Breeden. And I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And we're the hosts of Conversations on Dance. So as Art said, we're very happy to have all three of you lovely ladies here with us today. We're here with Virginia Johnson of Dance Theater of Harlem, Lourdes Lopez of Miami City Ballet, and Pam Tanowitz, celebrated choreographer. So this is also very special for us because Michael and I danced with Miami City Ballet for over a decade, many years under Lourdes. So it's fun to be here on this weekend with Miami City Ballet performing. Uh, before we get started, we wanted to let you guys know that we will be opening the floor to questions from you towards the end of the interview. So if, you, if anything sparks your uh, imagination, just keep that question in mind and we'll get to it. All right, so before we get into the meat of our conversation today, we want to get to know all of you a little bit better. So Lourdes and Virginia, can you tell us a little bit about when you joined as an artistic director of your companies and how long you've been in that post? Uh, Virginia, we'll start with you. Uh, thank you, Rebecca. So um, I have been artistic director of Dance Theatre of Harlem since 2010. Um, I was a dancer with uh, Dance Theatre of Harlem from its founding in 19, 1969, uh, and I danced with the company for 28 years. Uh, I wow. finally retired and uh, went <laughs> off and did some other things. And in, in 2010, um, Arthur Mitchell called me and said uh, that he was stepping down and he wanted me to uh, take his place. Uh, which was quite a stunning yeah, what was that like statement. for you? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know, um, I was, this is not a job I ever aspired to, mm -hmm. but <laughs> this is, uh, this was the person who had given me the life I had dreamed of, mm -hmm. and it was definitely time for me to, to do my paying back. Yeah. So uh, I, uh, I took on the assignment. Wonderful. Lourdes, how about you? It's nice to see you both. Ah, <laughs> so Thank you so much for inviting us. Yeah. Um, I uh, took over Miami City Ballet in 2012. Um, I also had <laughs> no, uh, no aspirations or goals to be an artistic director, but I got a call from um, uh, the board chair of Miami City Ballet at the time to come down, and it felt like an organic move for me. I was a principal with New York City Ballet, um, and obviously it's our founder, Edward Villela, was a star with that company, and it's the same kind of um, roots that we have, legacy that we share. And I was uh, raised in Miami, born in Cuba, raised in Miami, so it just felt like an organic move, even though it wasn't anything that I was working towards or thinking about. Um, after I stepped down, and I, I don't like to say that I retired. I like to say that I got tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out when I retire. Um, but I danced with New York City Ballet for 24 years, and I did a whole slew of things um, after my career that I think um, really informed me and educated me and kind of gave me mm -hmm. the experience of what I needed once I took on the role of artistic director because it's not, it's not just the fact that you're on stage as a dancer, it's a lot more than that, a lot more of a, there are different skills that you need and, uh, and I'm so glad that I was open to all the various things that I did. Um, you know, after, after stepping down and so I, I guess I'm in my eighth season now. Wow. <laughs> So uh, Pam, can you tell us a little bit about uh, when you first became interested in choreography and how some of your first commissions came about? 
I thought you guys were introducing me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started choreographing in college. Um, I went to Ohio State University, and in my junior year, I started choreographing. And I actually had no plan. I had no plans. I didn't know what that, what a career in dance would be. It's um, a freelance choreographer in New York. I, I knew I was going to move back to New York. I'm from New York. Um, so I just did, I just made stuff, really. Um, there's no plan. No one teaches you how to do that. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. I mean, sort of listening to you guys, there's no skill. You're, you're, you know, you plan on making dances, but there's bunch, you know, a bunch of other skills you need mm -hmm. to forge a career Absolutely. that nobody teaches you. You yeah. just have to do it and make mistakes, and I still make mistakes, so... Yeah, yeah, I think that's something that sets choreography apart in terms of uh, as an art form. You know, dancers, where just we have a teacher in the front of the room from day one informing us what to do, what not to do. But as a choreographer, you have to kind of, the learning curve is on your own, right? A little bit? I think so. I mean, I think for me, I really, um, I always had a day job. So I, always, I was never trying to make money. <laughs> um, but what that afforded me was, so I made money somewhere else, so I really just worked on my craft. Mm -hmm. I really was in the studio all the time. Um, and, you know, it, that, but it, it was a slower pace for me. You know, other people do everything at once, or I couldn't really do that. Mm -hmm. um, so. Was it hard for you to find dancers to work with? Well, when I started, it was just my friends from right. college. Mm -hmm. And there was no, when you don't get any money, you don't pay any money. When there's no money involved, it's, <laughs> it seems okay at first, but right. then as you go, it's not. Right, right, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so Virginia and Lourdes, you said that neither of you had aspirations to have these roles as artistic directors. So when you were asked, what thought process did you go through and what made you eager to accept it and decide, you know, this really is going to be the next step for me and I'm ready to take on this challenge? So um, I think the thing, uh, as Lourdes said, uh, when I stopped dancing, uh, I uh, did a lot of different things. And one of, among them was uh, a Founding Point magazine which is a, a, a publication that was designed for the young dancer to understand what the profession was like. And um, I have to say, when I stopped dancing, I had, turn, had, had intended to turn my back on ballet, mm -hmm. to walk away from this crazy world and never have anything to do with it again, mm -hmm. because I was <laughs> done with it. <laughs> it was uh, very all-consuming. I had a wonderful career. I had a wonderful career, but that was enough. Right and I was gonna have a regular life, and mm -hmm. I was gonna be a real person. <laughs> and uh, then. <laughs> and so I went back to college because I, I was still working on my undergraduate degree, and uh, I was studying journalism, and I really wanted to continue to communicate, right. because I feel like that's what dance does. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was gonna do it, I was gonna be a journalist. Uh, and it was in the midst of, of um, that process of putting together Point Magazine and learning what I needed to do to make a magazine and learning what people needed to know about mm -hmm. inside the profession that they didn't have access to, that I fell back in love. Mm. Interesting. And it was really, it was a very strangest thing uh -huh. because I came to appreciate what ballet is. Mm -hmm. I came to appreciate the people who are in it mm -hmm. and the process um, by which it comes together. And of course, it's the dancers on the stage, mm -hmm. but it's the people in the office, it's the people, it's the board, it's the audience, it's the presenters. There's this whole universe of people who believe passionately in this art form and want to make sure that it moves forward. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't found that kind of passion in the real world. Mm -hmm. And so when Arthur Mitchell said, you know, you're, uh, I want you to come here, I was like, oh, I think I have an idea about what that could be now, right. and I hadn't had it before. Right. Very interesting. Lourdes? Hmm. I, um, when I stopped dancing, I got an opportunity to be a cultural arts correspondent for WNBC in New York, and I did that for two years, um, really interviewing artists, um, uh, filming, uh, writing my own stories, looking for my own stories. And it was, it, was, it was wonderful, because there I was, I was retired after 24 years, I had a salary, I had benefits, I had an office, a little cubicle, I had a brand new community. And I did it for two years, and I was really, really unhappy. Um, I would walk through the doors of the Rockefeller Center up on the 50th floor, and it was like my DNA 
had changed. Um, I was no longer Lourdes. And it wasn't about not dancing on the stage. It had nothing to do with that. It was about not being around this art form that I have loved from the age of five. Mm. <laughs> I just, I needed to be in it. Right. I didn't need to be dancing on the stage, but I somehow needed to be around the people, around the dancers, around the community. I needed to see it. And so I took a, a job as a uh, ballet teacher at um, Ballet Academy East, uh, teaching adult classes. Late at night after I finished with WNBC, I'd go and teach a seven o'clock class, and all of a sudden, I was happy. Mm -hmm. And so that was a very, and, and I think dancers, you know, I really do, uh, believe that dancers have an innate understanding of what brings them happiness mm -hmm. and what brings them joy. And, um, and I realized I, you know, I somehow had to, I had to be involved with dance somehow. And I just basically said yes to everything that came along. And so I started teaching, uh, became a senior faculty member for Ballet Academy East. I think I taught there for about four or five years. Um, Barbara Horgan, who's the executor of the uh, George Balanchine Trust, really gave me the greatest um, gift, I think, that, that I've ever received and that she approached me about being the executive director of the George Balanchine Foundation. And so all of a sudden, I was put on the administrative side, learning about budgets, governance, proposals, um, deadlines, uh, projects that had to be done. How do you raise money, development, what's your bottom line? And she threw me in there, really very similar to Balanchine or any teacher, you know, just shove you out up there and you know, you either sink or swim. And I did that for four years and I owe her uh, just a debt of gratitude because mm -hmm. she taught me, she put me in, an, in a situation where I needed to learn everything I had to learn if I wanted to head a ballet company, which I didn't want to do, right? <laughs> I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then Christopher Wielden, the choreographer, uh, we were very good friends, we're still very good friends, and he's had this crazy idea. Uh, sorry, Pam, <laughs> but right. it is a crazy idea to start a ballet company from scratch <laughs> in the United States. I just want to tell you that. Um, so he said, I have this, I really want my own company, and we started the Morphosis, which is a small, um, uh, modern, you know, uh, uh, contemporary dance company in New York, very small pickup artist. And then that was the other kind of, um, you know, uh, you know th thrown in again in a situation where I had to kind of figure it out mm -hmm. and understand. So I don't know if I've answered your question. The point is that I didn't, there were no skill sets. I didn't go someplace. It was just saying yes to everything that had to do with dance. For me, right. it was, is it about dance? I'm there. Right. <laughs> I'll do it. Right. And it's um, brought me to really this uh, unbelievable place where I think um, um, even I'm more fulfilled now as an artistic director than I was as a dancer, mm -hmm. I have to say. So Pam, as Lourdes mentioned, you are a found, the founder of your dance company, Pam Tanowitz Dance. So was that something you're talking about when you were in college, you were just making things? Was that always your view for your future to get to this point and make a career out of choreography? No, and also it's, I don't really, um, it's not a r dance company really. Uh -huh. I mean, it is when I need it to be, but right. it's really a project-based uh -huh. company. So we don't have, um, an off well we're actually getting an office but um, <laughs> watch <Yeah>. out yeah. <laughs> but it's really project based so it's based on what work we have so um, I think that these sort of older models of a dance company um, for modern I think it's very different for ballet uh, companies um, they don't really exist and they don't I mean the only I can think of Mark Morris I can't think of anything else Paul Taylor but um, Graham, but that's really it, I think, as far as company companies, um, like full-time companies, I think now I'm in the middle of trying to figure out a new model of how to go forward uh, as a project-based company and still ha be able to tour. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a real, uh, they, they work against each other. Right. Um, and it's been hard, it's been a quick, learning curve um, on how to, you know, we toured 
Goldberg variations and four quartets, and we were, you know, we had to get ready. We had to learn quickly how to do all these things. Sure, yeah. Because um, we didn't have systems in place. So, so it's, har it's a harder, because I actually think of myself as an individual artist. I go into the studio and I make stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what I care about, and that's where I feel the least unhappy, talking about how <laughs> dancers know how to make themselves happy. That's where I feel the least unhappy in the dance studio, so that's how I know it's right for me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So Lourdes, you said that maybe building a dance company from scratch is the hardest thing to do, but taking over the helm of a company that it has an identity like Dance Theater of Harlem and Miami City Ballet, you know, I think if you said either of those companies, when you took over, people certainly had a distinct idea of their, um, their identities, that what those companies represent to people who love the arts. So what were some of the challenges in honoring that legacy for both of you, um, and yet still bringing forward the company with your ideas? Um, it was very easy for me to honor the legacy of Miami City Ballet. As I said, the, our founder was Edward Villela, this extraordinary, really one of the first or second or uh, major male dancers in the United States, if not the world. I mean. Um, a real, a, a real iconic figure in the dance world. So, and we both share the Balanchine um, roots and blood. I was uh, picked to join New York, New York City Ballet by Mr. Balanchine himself. I trained under him for about 13 years. Um, continued dancing all of his ballets along with Jerome Robbins. So it's, it's kind of the DNA. We share the same DNA, and it's a, it's a legacy and it's a, um, an aesthetic and a style that I very much believe in. Though I appreciate. Um, other styles, and I and and I can I can watch them. It's not that it's good or bad. It's just it's just different. Um, for me, with Miami City Ballet, it was really about um, I, the word is updating it a little bit. Uh, where I felt that um, you know there were these new choreographers. I I know you had already done a piece by Ratmansky and 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 Liam Scarlett. Justin Peck and, and more works by Christopher Wielden and and really expanding the repertory that we had because I have a I'm a firm believer that the the broader and more diverse rep that you have that you can bring to your dancers the better your dancers are going to be number one they just get so excited when there's new work mm -hmm. they get they're thrilled when they have a living choreographer in the th in front of them right uh, that you're that they're feeding off of. Um, it makes them work harder. It makes them happy. It uh, it expands their their artistic growth. And I remember at City Ballet when Peter did um, Peter Martins did the American Music Festival, and artistically I was already a principal. And the fact that I was working with four different choreographers during one season, by the end of that season, I myself could not believe how much better, not not technically, but artistically, how much more available. I was as a dancer on the stage. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was kind of my idea for when I came in and, I, and they said, well, what are you gonna do with it? And I would say, well, I wanna take it to its next level. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was the next level. Right. right. How about for you, Virginia? So for me, it was a, a, a very different situation. Um, when I came back in 2010, there was no professional company. Uh, Dance Theater of Harlem had put the touring company on hiatus in 2004 for finan financial reasons. And um, one of the things that Arthur Mitchell said to me was my job was to bring back the company. Mm. Uh, and uh, that was, you know, Dance Theater of Harlem had a huge rep reputation and was well known around the world and much loved. Mm. Uh, and, and the fact that it was not touring anymore was, was a very, very sad and difficult situation. But uh, we had to figure out how to build a company again in a way that we could sustain this time. Mm -hmm. When uh, the company folded in uh, 2004, there were 53 dancers. Um, when I came back, we spent two years uh, stabilizing the organization, working on our development department, really working on uh, how we were, were doing things, administration, how we were making the organization strong enough to withstand the stress of having a touring company. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had much support from the foundations. We had some wonderful consultants and we did all kinds of studies and, and we figured out, well, what's the right size for a touring company in 2012, which was the date that we were had, had decided on. 
post-2008 economy, mm. uh, just a real understanding that we have an important message. It needs to play in big cities and small. So how can we make this happen? We crunched numbers, and we came up with the number 18. Uh, and so mm -hmm. Dance Theatre of Harlem relaunched as a, an 18-member company, which was very exciting, but it meant that the majority of the repertoire that Dance Theatre of Harlem was famous mm -hmm. for was out of our reach. Sure. Mm. Uh, during the two years before we relaunched the company, we did a, a series of workshops called Harlem Dance Works 2.0, in which we invite, invited different choreographers mm -hmm. to come in and do um, uh, studies for potential works. And we used pickup dancers. We had dancers from all kinds of places who were available to us uh, just to have a two or three week period in which somebody would incubate a little bit of uh, a, a work and we'd see, ah, this is something interesting. This is something that could fit Dance Theater Fallen, or oh no, that's not gonna work. Mm -hmm. So that was a very useful time period. But we had to figure out from scratch what Dance Theater Fallen would look like again right. because we didn't have access to anything from the past. Uh, and it's been, in these seven years that we've had the company, a constant um, rejiggering of the idea of what Dance Theatre of Harlem is. The, the work that we performed here at uh, Kennedy Center last night, uh, Dougla, was part of the, the original company's repertoire. Mm -hmm. And it's a magnificent work, full of spectacle, full of um, wonderful costumes. It has a cast of 24. And when we perform it in select cities, we augment the company with dancers from Collage Dance Collective, which is an offshoot of Dance Theatre of Harlem. It was founded by a former Dance Theatre of Harlem company member, um, Kevin Thomas. Mm -hmm. So that fulfills that idea of you're going to have spectacle. But the majority of our works are much smaller because we have a, a smaller touring company that, that travels with our costumes and whatever scenery in the, underneath the plane when we fly from place sure, to place. Sure. Yeah. So Pam, uh, what are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome in terms of, we know how hard it can be to launch a career in choreography. So what was like the biggest challenge that you had to overcome in order to create the career that you have today as a very prolific choreographer in the field? Well, I think I, think I just kept making stuff. I think I really had to um, block out the noise of stuff and really concentrate on the work because, mm -hmm. and, and I think, um, the first 15 years of my career where nobody really paid that much attention um, to me actually was a, a gift because I didn't have to worry. I mean, it was hard, don't get me wrong, um, but also it gave me a chance to practice and make mm -hmm. stuff and make mistakes and not have to worry about, you know, I had 20 people in the audience mm -hmm. or nine people in the audience or whatever, you know, um, and, 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 I, and I just, there's something about being naive Mm -hmm. that is actually really great. Like, I just did stuff. I didn't think about stuff. You know, I didn't think about it. Like, now I overthink things. So so I think that there was a period of time that, that was really helpful. Um, I mean, the challenge are like everything else. Like, everything's hard, right. you know. Um, was there a specific I, moment that you were like, okay, this is happening. Like, I feel like those 15 years are past me and I'm really mm -hmm. starting to launch into my career. I, yeah, I don't think about my career like that though. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to, like mm -hmm. I don't, I just, I just look at the next dance. So right. I don't, it's hard, I don't look at it like uh, I want to achieve this by sure. this mm -hmm. because it's, a, it's not linear that mm -hmm. way. And I think everything's important. So I think a show at the Barbican is just as important as me going to Cleveland and working with um, the community there to put up a show in a week. Sure. Like I don't, I, I think that, um, and, and a lot of people have helped me through my whole career and I, and I, I teach and um, I think it's important to give back. Uh, you know, I try to do as much as that. You know, if now people, I, I, I used to ask favors and now people ask me and I try yeah. to say yes as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so, did I answer your question? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't. So, so, in recent years, the conversation about um, the lack of representation of women in as choreographers in the repertoire of major companies in America has intensified. Do you guys think that this conversation has been productive and has been that we've been able to move forward into a place where women are having? Uh, stronger voices or having their voices heard as choreographers in the ballet world? <laughs> I think that yes, we're in a moment where uh, it is very much 
all that people are talking about, which is wonderful. Um, sorry that they didn't talk about it sooner. Mm. Uh, certainly there were female choreographers who were part of the ballet world before now, and I think that we are forgetting that it's not a new thing. Right. <laughs> but it's certainly something that I think is um, of value and of importance, mm. that um, we want to understand what the contribution of a different perspective can make to this art form. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's wonderful. It's wonderful that we're having this conversation now. But I, I, the question that I ask myself is, why did it take so long? Why aren't there more women? So let me give you a perfect example. When I joined, when I came down um, to take over Miami City Ballet, I had to program them. I was also um, head of the Miami City Ballet School and putting together their summer program. And I gave, in these auditions, I gave no male scholarships out for the, for the men. Not a single, sorry, sorry, Michael. <laughs> because I just felt that they, it wasn't necessarily need-based, I just felt in respect to the talent, um, it wasn't there. Mm. And no one showed up. No single, you know, young male dancer enrolled at Miami City Ballet School for that summer. And the administrator at the time said to me, well, it's because you haven't given out scholarships. And all of a sudden, when I started doing the research, I realized that to get more men into ballet, what many directors and many school directors did is that they offered them full scholarships, basically a free ride. So you get your, um, you get your tuition, you get a stipend, you get flown, you get this, you get housing, everything to increase the male population, which was badly needed. And so now when you go to any school, for the most part in the United States, schools as well, there's, um, a, 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 you know, there's a nice number of mm -hmm. male students, of men, you know, young boys interested in ballet. So that's, I'm thinking, what do we have to do, mm -hmm. right? to kind of set the stage for these young women while they're in the company mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. while they're in the school, what, what tools, what process, what projects, what kind of gatherings, what kind of information, what kind of education, you know, what can we do to kind of do, to kind of get the reaction that we got, if mm -hmm. that now we have all these men dancing for, for young female, you know, dancers that are interested in choreographing. Sure. Yeah. I think there's one of the things that's, that's really important um, that we try to do at DTH also is, is to um, plant the seed of possibility in the minds of young students. You know, I think that lots of young kids are in, in the ballet class and they see in front of them the teacher who may, may be male or female, but usually the person that teaches them the steps that's choreographing for them is, is, a, is a male, mm -hmm. just because that's just what's happened. Mm -hmm. And so what we're trying to do is make sure when we have female choreographers who are working with the company to have them engage with the students in the school so that they have a, a sense that, oh, this is, so this is something I can do too. Mm -hmm. uh, and encouraging them to make dances themselves. It doesn't happen so much in ballet that you get a young ballet student to think about making a dance. Mm -hmm. The ones who are driven towards choreography will do that automatically. Mm -hmm. But the ones who are, are just taking class and loving it, ha giving them the chance or challenging them the opportunity, we'll try it. Yeah. See what happens. You might actually yeah. love it. And mm -hmm. so, so planting that seed so they think, ah, oh, I could do this. Mm -hmm. I have something in me that could take that next step. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'm not a ballet choreographer, and I'm not in the ballet world, so I'm an outsider, you know, <laughs> so take this with a grain of salt, right? <laughs> um, but from my point of view, I agree with everything you're saying, um, and sort of going off what you're saying, Virginia, about, I, I, I think that um, there's a way that the ballet world cultivates men to choreograph and not women. And then sort of, and I've said this before in other interviews, for, um, that then all of a sudden everyone wakes up and says, we want a female ballet choreographer. And then they hire, and then they get a chance, and they're not ready. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then they don't get another chance. And the men get more chances, mm -hmm. right? Like if they make a okay ballet, they give them another one mm -hmm. to work it out. And that's mm -hmm. fun, that's great. But yeah. I feel like it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's uh, charged when a female gets that chance. Mm -hmm. right. And if they don't totally succeed, whatever that means, uh -huh. then they won't hire another one for 10 years mm -hmm. or something. And they don't cultivate it the way they have cultivated 
you know, a Christopher Wilden or a Justin Peck, the way that, you know, and right. the resources and the time. And I think um, that's, and I don't know, and I think it's part of, you, you can speak to this more, part of the, the culture and the heritage mm -hmm. and this, the, the history and, you know. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with Pam partially. Um, I th the, f specifically for ballet, it's endemic. Women dance more, period, end of story. So if you, whether it's American Ballet Theater, New York City Ballet, or Miami City Ballet, for the most part, women are on stage. If you have four ballets that evening, generally speaking, women are in three of those ballets, sure. while the men are in one, <laughs> right? No, Michael, yeah. Too, yeah. Too, too, right. Yeah. So yeah. Giselle happens, the guys leave after first act, the women stay for second. <laughs> so the men, I think, have had more time, because I was there during Justin, and I was there doing Chris Wielden, and they weren't in the theater as often as the female dancers. It's, it's just, you know, it's, mm. it's part of the, our, unfortunately, I think, our, it's not the only reason. Um, and so how do we change that around? How do we give them more time? Yeah. I also think that unfortunately the point shoe, I hate to say it, um, plays a big part because you have to be in that classroom every day because of the point shoe work. Mm -hmm. It's just, it is that specific. It takes that much sure. out of you. Where men have a little bit, um, so, you know, how do, we, how do we create the time if exactly. a female is interested that we as artistic directors say, okay, I will take you out of three ballets to give you time mm. and I'll give you a, I mean, maybe that's the way, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. know. Yeah. I think I though also, I, excellent points, excellent points. But I think the other thing that's part of our world that is a hindrance is that you, we don't have any, um, we don't have enough workshops. We don't have enough laboratories. Mm -hmm. Pam, you said you started. You just went into the studio and right. worked. You just because you were right, it was interested a different in that. Track. It's a different mm -hmm. track. It's a different. Yeah. So, so what, what happens with ballet companies? And and certainly something that I've I've experienced is you have to have a work that you invest in that you're going to have move forward, and you don't. When we had Harlem Dance Works, it was a great luxury yeah. because we could explore. We don't create time in our very tightly packed days for exploration at all. You just have to produce. Mm. And so how, do you, how does a, an artist develop if they don't have that yeah, time no, to go? It's hard. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard. I mean, even when I'm teaching my students at uh, Rutgers University, it's a very, pro, um, you know, there's deadlines, there's shows, and I actually said to them, I will teach this class. There is no product. They are not showing anything. It's not for a show. It's, and every time I come, we're doing something different. And mm -hmm. some things carried over and some things didn't, but it was all about process. And that's the only thing I, I want to teach right now. And they said, okay. But only, but it's hard on every level of what you're mm -hmm. saying, because everybody, there's deadlines, there's time, time is money, there's grants, time, there's I mean, <laughs> all that stuff. But I think that there has to be a way to say, um, you know, we want, we, we want to engage with female, you know, support female choreographers, but we can't, we have to support them. You yes. can't just give them a, a show and then have it be over. Like there right. has to be a way where it's been done with the men. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is. You guys mm -hmm. figure that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but maybe Pam, maybe what I'm, he what, what I'm hearing is um, someone who has lived it, Mm -hmm. Right. Who's who's you know walked the walked the walk, <laughs> um, come in and and work with companies and say, listen, this is what I needed. This is these were the mm -hmm. my, the challenges that I faced as a female choreographer, and how can we as directors change that path for the next generation? Like if you mm -hmm. see potential female dancers in your companies that really are serious, then. You know, or even, send them or, to you. Or, yeah, <laughs> or even not serious. How do they know they're serious if they right. didn't try? Exactly. They could mm -hmm. try and say, that's not for me, or mm -hmm. yes, I'm interested. Mm -hmm. you know. I'll you know, come and talk to people. I, I wanted to bring up, I think Lord has pointed out an irony in that, um, yes, women inherently have more work to do in ballet because of the point shoe. And yet, that means that they have, a, of course, a deeper knowledge about something that sets ballet apart from other dance forms. Um, I remember oftentimes my female colleagues kind of saying, 
I wouldn't say complaining, but having to finesse um, point work transitions that because the male choreographers simply don't have <laughs> that background. <laughs> so I think we'll all be, That's everyone really will be better off. Because they're, they're already, they're solving problem, choreographic problems yes. Yes. For, the yep. for the male. Yeah, right. true. exactly. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> We so. can't do that, you know. <laughs> so who are some of the females in um, the dance community today that really inspire you? Lourdes Lopez. <laughs> oh, no, that is just so not fair. <laughs> we go way, way back. <laughs> we do indeed. Um, I think this is a, a tremendously exciting time because people are finally going, oh, yeah, they can do that. And so, um, you know, I think that there are a lot of colleagues that are uh, running companies or creating work that I'm really very, uh, I feel a sense of um, we're the front of a wave. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not really going to call names because I feel like it is an exceptional time that there is now an opportunity for us to move forward. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, you know, I've never, when I first um, stepped into the role at Miami City Ballet, everybody said, oh my God, you're like the only, you know, female artistic director in the United States and you're the, you're the first or you're this or you're that. And I don't think that way. Mm -hmm. I just don't. And, and it's, maybe it's my fault yeah. and maybe I should. I think um, I get up every morning and I don't think, well, now I'm a female and I have to. <laughs> I, I think, what does Miami City Ballet need? Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, you know, it's obviously, incredibly important because I think role models are critical in in any in any field um, and I think and I'm you know for equality and I'm understanding that but it's not a focus I, I don't have gender as a focus right. necessarily for me mm -hmm. yeah. I sort of was I understand your thought process because I I want to be known as a choreographer not right. a female choreographer right. yeah. but I do and and I think I am, that's how I work, mm -hmm. but I think there. I think now I have to be res responsible and say I'm a female choreographer. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, I don't know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it for that. All right, so we're gonna take some time now to talk about the extraordinary evening of dance that happened last night. Was Were any of you there last night for the show? Wonderful. Great. It was really spectacular. So it was a commissioned work by the Kennedy Center, and it was Pam Tanowitz choreographed it, featuring dancers from both of your companies, Dance Theater of Harlem and Miami City Ballet. So how did this collaboration, the idea for the collaboration come about, and what made all three of you interested in being a part of it? Pam, do you want I to got start? an email <laughs> <laughs> from Meg Booth, oh, former um, podcast guest. I don't know what happened before the email. Maybe you guys can. I don't know how. I think I got an email too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, no, I think it's true. I think uh, I got an email from Meg about um, it was her idea to put a series together that focused on women uh, in the arts, leadership, uh, female leadership in the arts, and she wanted to. Uh, pair Miami City Ballet with the Dance Theater of Harlem because they were celebrating their 50th anniversary. And th this conversation went on for almost more than a year because there were several pro programmatic ideas that we were thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was all for it because I, I, I mean, like I said, Virginia and I go way, way back and I love DTH and even though I, I'd only met Mr. Mitchell a couple of times, the man was just this major force in the dance world and, um, and certainly what he forged for, uh, for black dancers here in the United States and, and around the world. So I, I just jumped in, I said, you know, count me in. <laughs> I'll do it. Absolutely, um, very similar, very similar. I, I came down to the office of our uh, executive director, Anna Glass, and Meg Booth is sitting there and they're, they're talking about Kennedy Center and they're talking about Ballet Across America. And I think what happened with to me, this program, Ballet Across America, is of course an old program. It's been in existence for a while. And DTH had participated in it before, and often it takes the shape of um, many different companies coming and produce, doing one work on a program and then just a kind of a, um, a potpourri <laughs> of dance. Um, but it seemed that Meg was very interested in making something, uh, a, a deeper statement about Ballet in America and that she was very fascinated about the, this, the change that was coming and that there was a, a moment to celebrate uh, female leadership. Uh, 
I thought it was just the most brilliant idea to have the week divided between the two companies and the most amazing idea to have the two companies work together in a commissioned work. Mm -hmm. Now, brilliant, almost impossible <laughs> to make happen. It's been quite, quite elaborate to coordinate schedules and to make sure that everything came together in a way that it did last night. It's mm -hmm. sort of crazy. Yeah, actually. because when, when you think of, you know, DTH is in New York, um, MCB is in Miami, Pam's traveling all over the world. Um, I think what was so beautiful about this commission, because the scheduling was, was a challenge. But it was seamless. I have to. I have to tell you. It was for me. It was seamless. I think it's because everybody um, left their ego at the door mm. and said, "We are here to kind of make this happen for uh, women in dance, for Kennedy Center, for Ballet Across America, for for Pam." Everybody just jumped into the vision, mm -hmm. and mm. and that's what I felt. And we w there were roadblocks. I'm not saying that it was easy. There were roadblocks, but we were happy to discuss them, try to overcome mm -hmm. them, find them a different way. No one got stuck. In, in no, it has to be this way, or we can't make it happen. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, is that a, a because we were all women, or was it because we all wanted this to happen and Both, we believed? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I mean, the roadblocks were like were easy roadblocks. They were just like dates and like logistical things. It was never any like you said, ego or any other bigger issues, or you know, there was nothing else going on. It was really yeah. transparent. Mm -hmm. It was more just like. Scheduling, really. Mm -hmm. But once we got it, it was good. Yeah, but talk about because you yeah. flew down to Miami, yeah. you choreographed, and you I flew up, yeah, then we flew the, the dancers up to New York, <laughs> and they flew the dancers down to Miami. I mean, it was, it was like a lot. We had <laughs> a lot of miles, a lot of American Airlines miles. <laughs> we got a lot. All of us got a lot of miles, so that's good. Um, no, it was. I mean, my schedule was also hard. It was. It was. It, so, I think I started. Well, I started working on it with Mike my dancers mm. because I, I already knew this was going to be challenging. I was super interested. Well, I got the email from Meg Booth. I'll go back. And they, she said, would you like to do a piece at the Kennedy Center with, with, with uh, Miami City Ballet and Dance Theater Harlem? So that was a no-brainer, of course. I'm so, I mean, I was so honored that you guys, you know, wanted to work with me. So um, I didn't even think about how it would actually work. I just said yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, 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 I mapped out some, I, after I chose my music, I mapped out movement with my dancers because I wanted to just, I was super organized more than I normally am because I knew of all the challenges. And yeah, I went, to, I went up to Dance Theater Harlem a bunch of times. Then I flew to Miami. And we were on tour, so and you then, could work with Well, the what was amazing was two, the, both times I went to Miami, DTH was in Florida. Yeah. And then they schlepped to where I was, <laughs> right? It was a schlep, yeah. like two-hour drives and stuff. But it was worth it. And, you know, and I think it was all, and, and we started in la last fall. I think my first, I came to watch rehearsal last fall, I like last so. November. Yes, yes. Um, super exciting for me. I mean, it, it, and it felt like we were, I, I understand exactly what you were saying, Lourdes, because when we were all in the studio, with all this happening, we were all there working, working together, mm -hmm. collaborating. I'm very collaborative with my dancers, and, um, you know, we were all present. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, um, and actually, this whole year, this piece, inclu including this piece, actually, um, I've realized a lot of my work is about people in the room, yeah. and this piece particular. Mm -hmm. I react, and and so I come with ideas, but it's not. I, I I'm I'm very open um, to what's going on in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, the piece of music. The one of the reasons why I chose it. It's beautiful. It's by Caroline Shaw. Um, inside the sco piano score is a Chopin waltz. And so, and that's something that I do in my work um, through the years. I'm very interested in like taking historical, um, you know, references from Balanchine and Cunningham and all the, and I embed them in my work. And you know, I, it's something I'm very interested in. So I love this piece. And we were rehearsing, we started rehearsing and the Chopin waltz came on and the Miami City Ballet dancers started doing Is the Jerry Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, 
oh my god wait stop show me that again you know so I'm, that's so, so that's an example and i it's in my piece but i i manipulated it they they do tapping yeah. they do all the stuff so i took the base of the Jerry Robbins, which I, um, other, what is it called? Other Dances. Other Dances, right. And stole a little bit, manipulated it, made it ours, you know? Mm -hmm. Did you notice? Yes. But I mean, I think it's fine too. I think if you, if it's you great, knew that yeah. or not, and also you would still enjoy it if you didn't know it. So it's not like a secret that is alienating mm -hmm. to an audience. Mm -hmm. So. So that would be an example of reading the room, being present in the room with the dancers, using their input. Because they, they, you should have seen their faces. They were really, it was really exciting. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to talk to you a little bit more about uh, how individual dancers affect um, your work. Like you now, at this point, you are working with companies of so many different varied backgrounds, trainings. Um, the repertoire that they have to perform on a regular basis has completely different demands. So, um, how does that yeah. affect you? Do you think? Do you find it's like a, a push pull? Like, are they meeting you halfway too in terms of what your personal? Yeah, I mean, is? I have. I mean, I think it's interesting to meet halfway. Mm -hmm. Like, so I again have my certain ideas of what I want to do, but if I'm in the Graham company. Um, I'm I'm saying to myself, okay, they're performing Graham, and you know, um, so their approach, the movement is a certain way. So how can I work with that, and how can I, you know, and um, you know, it's it really when I tell them that they don't need to wear makeup for my piece, and they're like, Pam, we wear false eyelashes. This is Graham, you know, yeah. <laughs> performing your dance in false eyelashes. I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> um, but no, I meet them halfway, you know, and and with ballet dancers too. I mean, there's certain things that I really wanted, you know, maybe a lot of it has to do with hands and heads and sometimes I want the head, you know, you know, neutral mm -hmm. and then sometimes I will use the apalma, you know, yeah. and but but it's very it's talked about, it's specific and again what you were saying about um uh, choices as a performer, you know, this, you know, I always talk about how this is how I want it. It's, it's not better or worse. It's just different as choices. And you take these choices with you to your next piece. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, it makes the dancer grow. I grow because I learn, I ask them questions all the time because I don't know all the ballet terms. So I'll ask what they are. How do you do it? How could we change the accent? How can we, you know, do the same step with different arms that are like take away the traditional arm and head and what, how could we reverse it and invert it, mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. So I'm always talking to, that, to the dancers mm -hmm. and it's, it's exciting. And I think to acknowledge who I'm, who I'm making a dance for. Right. So I don't want to take it all out. Right. But, you know, I think it is hard for ballet dancers sometimes with my work because it is similar. It would be, I think sometimes there's, um, if they're doing something totally different, it's, it's um, a different. It's easier. Mm -hmm. I think it's a different part of the, their thinking. You know, if they're used to doing a certain ballet step with a certain arm, and now mm -hmm. I'm asking them to take that out, it's actually harder. Right. Mm -hmm. But they love it. Yeah. Because they're using their head, brain mm -hmm. in a different way. You know. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think at this point we have to go to the audience for your per your questions. So if anyone thought of anything during the course of our talk, and we'll go ahead and repeat each question so, so that everyone everyone can in the back can hear as well. They answer. Yeah. Go ahead. That's a uh, good question. So the, the question was um, uh, how, what Pam's uh, mindset is as a choreographer. Um, does it differ based on whether or not she's making something based on a commission or something that she's personally invested in and working on? Well, I th they intersect because I always have ideas. I have lists of music I want to use. You know, so when I, when I was asked for the, to do this piece, I had a list, you know, I had two choice. I think I sent two choices of music to you guys. I can't remember. I already knew the, what kind of music I wanted right away. Um, it's best when it's both. I mean, sometimes commissions are assignments, but when they can intersect, like you said, with what I want to be making and what, where my interests are, um, I, uh, that's the best. I can't really think of anything I didn't want to do that I I think that would be sad for me <laughs> I think that I only you know I don't want to I think I don't think I could actually because I would turn the thing that I was unsure about into the thing that I loved does that make sense yeah yeah so so far I haven't made anything that I 
didn't feel inspired by because I can create within. And a lot of times, uh, limits are inspiring, actually. Mm -hmm. So um, if someone you know says four dancers and this music, sometimes that's actually more inspiring than anything. <laughs> it's harder, right. actually. Yeah. Did, it, did that happen? How did you guys choose the four, the four dancers, decide that it was going to be four, two males, two females? That was your choice? I think that we decided that four would be the most manageable mm -hmm. and totally. the most interesting to me. So, mm -hmm. like, two would have been not as impactful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, sit, or more than that, felt harder to coordinate with the rest of your schedule. Sure. So I think mm -hmm. that was all of us, but mm -hmm. it was up to me to decide, to decide yeah. who. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Yes, right here. <laughs> The question was, uh, as we talked about um, men being more nurtured as choreographers, is it the same idea for um, artistic directorship? Yeah, it's a great, that's a great question. I, I don't think that there's, not that I know of, anything really presently in place, um, like an apprenticeship where you have, sometimes you have an associate artistic director, but it's not, it's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily like, a, like an apprenticeship program that you go in and you learn. W one thing is, is interesting to me, and that is if you have a male artistic director, uh, by and large, they tend, to use, they tend to choose a male associate artistic director or a male um, person to to follow them. It's very rarely female, and I think that's one of the things that the Miami City Ballet Board did so courageously with me. I mean, truly, truly, like, because this is 2012, so the women's movement had not even started. Um, so they not only chose a female, they chose someone who hadn't been an artistic director, and it was really based on the fact that they had a real, the board had a real understanding that what made ba the Miami City Ballet so great, uh, other than its dancers, was really its, its legacy, the Balanchine legacy, and they, they stuck to that. They said, we need someone who's a, who's, who understands this. So I don't know if I answered your question. I don't know, Virginia, maybe you have a different... Um, I think it's just that, that there's more of an expectation that the, the artistic director is going to be a, a male and that there's more conversation. It's a little bit like what you were saying with the men have a different day schedule and so they can look, they have a chance to look at the bigger picture of what's going on around them in the studio or on the stage or in the theater because they're not every minute getting ready to do one role or another. Mm -hmm. So they have a different perspective on it and there's, there's that expectation that the mm -hmm. artistic director is going to be a male. Uh, it's just a, it's, it's a very traditional art form and changing that tradition is, is something that's, that's taking time. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like Pam talked about earlier, how you felt there was no one really, there's no one really to teach you how to choreograph and make dances. There's no one to really teach you how to be an artistic director. There are people you can refer to, but there's no like program, like you said, Lourdes, to like mm -hmm. an apprenticeship program mm -hmm. to figure out how to manage all of these things. You spend your whole life working on your art form and dance, and then suddenly you have to manage a huge organization mm -hmm. to do budgets, all of these different elements. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting is I called, um, when I got the, the position, I called Nikolai Huba, who's the, a friend of mine, um, who's the artistic director at the Royal Danish Ballet, and Peter Bull. Mm -hmm. So both two men, <laughs> but there was, there, was no, there was no one else to call. Right. You know, so. <laughs> Help yeah. me. <laughs> I, I think it's also, it's, it's interesting that both of, neither one of you had aspirations, no. but do you think no. that it's because there wasn't the representation? Like now that you are both leaders in the art form, maybe younger, your dancers will say, oh, well that always felt like a possibility because my director was Lourdes or Virginia. Mm -hmm. Whereas That's before you have only men, so you just, it doesn't cross your mind, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, interesting. Any other questions right here? Well. So, so the question was about um, modern choreographers preserving their legacy, and Pam, have you had thoughts about that? I just had a meeting at the library <laughs> with uh, Linda Murray. So yes, I'm thinking about it, because she was interested in getting me to start thinking about it sooner than later. Um, but there's two things. So yes, there's like the arch archival uh, library materials that I just started thinking about. Um, but because I'm project-based and because um, 
it's not a full-time company, you know, full-time companies will maybe rehearse a new piece in the morning, have lunch and rehearse their repertory, you know, that's not um, something that happens. So um, a lot of times the way I keep my repertory is I take, I steal from myself and I bring it forward. So if there's movement that is interesting to me that I felt like I haven't really, like in one piece that maybe I was not successful, I feel like didn't work or, I was interested in but didn't go deep enough, I will take those materials, those steps, that movement and bring it forward and reframe it in a new piece and then that comes, you know, that usually leads to um, totally different movement and totally different way of presenting that, that stuff. So, um, so I've, and I didn't realize I did that till a couple years ago. That's how I keep my repertory, is I bring it forward into my, the knit dance I'm making now so well I, unfortunately we have to end the conversation now and let everyone get off uh to the theater but thank you all so much for coming out and thank you to our wonderful panel of guests thank you thank you for tuning in this week if you are new to the podcast we invite you to click available episodes in your favorite podcast app to explore our catalog of over 140 episodes with some of the most influential people in the ballet and dance world. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. New episodes of Conversations on Dance go live every Monday. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.